Hi, this is Sharon Black. Welcome to the Sisters Sunday School class at Anchor Bible Church in Hull, Georgia. We are in the middle of a study on Jesus versus world religions or Christianity versus world religions. And the purpose of our study is really just to equip us as believers to share our faith with people of other faiths and to understand what they believe. Uh, there's a pattern in scripture that we need to understand what other people believe so that we can more effectively share our faith with them. Acts 17 is a good example that I gave in a previous study of Paul speaking directly to the Greek philosophers and all the others around at Mars Hill, and he preached a sermon to them to explain to them, and he quoted their own poets and their own writers back to them as he shared Christ with them. So we as Christians want to understand what others believe so that we can share the truth with them. Because if you are a believer, you understand that God's word is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to God except through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It's so important for us to to believe that fully. I have spoken to groups of Christians before who believe that Everybody believes in the same God and just gives him different names. People, that is unbiblical. That is not true because the characteristics of those other gods are not the characteristics of, of our one true God, the God of, of the Bible. So as we study um, the different world religions, right now we're looking at Islam. It's a very hard one to look at, but our world just reached 8 billion people really just a month or so ago. And according to statistics, 2 billion of those 8 billion are Muslim. Well, sorry, 2 billion of those 8 million claim to be Christian. 1.6 billion are Muslim. And I wonder about the 2 billion number because um, people use the word Christian lots of different ways. And I'm not certain that those 2 billion Christians are Bible-believing Christians with a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Those are people who just checked a box and claimed that they were Christian. So it may very well be that Muslims outnumber Bible-believing Christians in the world today. I'm not really sure on that. There's no way to measure it. So um, We looked a little bit last time at what Muslims believe. We looked at their pillars of their faith and, about, uh, and their basic doctrinal beliefs. We saw that Islam is essentially a works-based belief system. You check these boxes. You pray five times a day. You give 2.5% of your income to the poor. You, you make the claim that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. You do these things. You check these boxes. There's no mention of any kind of a saving faith or a relationship with Allah. It's all about works. And at the end of your life, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you get in. And that is um, a works-based faith. In fact, all world religions, except for Christianity, are examples of man trying to be good enough, trying to check the boxes, trying to do the works, trying to get to God. And Christianity is the only faith in which God has done all the work. He has reached out to us through his son, Jesus Christ, to save us. And there's nothing that we can do to be good enough. We just trust him and we trust Christ's righteousness. How beautiful. So as believers, as we dive in today, I want to take another um, session to look at Islam. We looked at kind of the belief systems last time. I want to take it a little further today. I want to look at their holy book and I want to look at the history of Islam where it 
started, who Muhammad is a little bit, and then make some recommendations to you for how to share your faith with a Muslim. Um, and these recommendations are not from me. They're from a number of sources in which converted Muslims, those who have converted to Christianity, share the best way to uh, talk to a Muslim about Jesus Christ. So as we begin today, let's look at um, the special revelation, the, the holy book for those who claim to be Muslim. So that would be the Quran. It's spelled a couple of different ways in writing. It's uh, the main way to spell it now is the Q U apostrophe R A N, the Quran. It used to be spelled K O R A N. In any case, the Quran was dictated by Muhammad. He claimed to have been given the content directly by Allah through the angel Gabriel. It took him 23 years to record. Muslims believe that this is the literal word of God and that all other previous texts, including the Bible, were corrupted. The most heinous act a person can commit toward a Muslim is to disrespect the Quran. The Hadith is composed of the traditions of the teachings, rulings, and actions of Muhammad. And then the Sunnah, which is part of the Hadith, is concerned with descriptions of Muhammad's, I will put this in quotation marks, exemplary actions. Some of his actions were not so exemplary, and we'll talk about that. Um, so this is their holy book, and uh, Muhammad claimed to have gotten it from the angel Gabriel. So let's go back and find out who Muhammad is. Let's look at the history of Islam. So he was born in 570 AD. He was born in Mecca, which would be in modern-day Saudi Arabia, northern part of, of the African continent. So I want to make a really important point here. Muhammad was born after the church had been established. Still the dark ages, but he was born after the full canon of scripture had been established by the church. All 66 books were together and um, being distributed among believers. And so when he claims in 610 AD, when Muhammad was 40 and claimed to have a vision that angel Gabriel dictated the words of, of Allah directly to him, um, and he spent 24 years doing this, the whole canon of scripture already existed. Super important to connect those dots. So there are references in the Quran to things that are in the Bible. Now, a Muslim will tell you the Bible is now corrupted, but I will tell you that the Quran is the words of a man. Um, so, he was born in 570 in Mecca in 610. When he was 40, he began to write down the what is now the Quran. In 622, Muhammad had a clash with the leaders of Mecca, which is his hometown, he fled to Medina for a while, and two years later, he came back and had a war with them called the Battle of Badir. Um, in Muslim culture, that's a significant year, the Battle of Badir. In 629, he cleansed the Kaaba of idols. Let me talk about that for just a minute. Mecca was a trading town. It was one of those towns that people from all over the known world 
went through on their way to somewhere else. And so it was um, a place where a lot of different cultures and a lot of different faiths kind of met. And so in the middle of the town, there was a box called the Kaaba, um, K-A-A-B-A. That's how it's spelled. And as people from all over the known world at the time, and of course this is in 500 AD, so not a lot of exploring was happening yet, but they would bring their idols that they worshipped in their particular faith and put them in this box in the center of town. It was almost like an X-17 kind of a thing um, where all the gods were represented from all over the known world at the time. And... uh, One of the things that Muhammad tried to do in Mecca, and one of the reasons that Mecca, of course, is his birthplace, but another reason that it's sort of a special place for Muslims is that he insisted that all the other gods be destroyed. And so in 629, he cleansed that town and that box or building or whatever it was in the middle of town. He cleansed it of all the idols and he made a lot of people mad, but he established Mecca as sort of the central location for what is now Islam. Um, He died in 632 AD and there were three successors to who took Muhammad's place. The successors are called Caliphs, C-A-L-I-P-H. Um, In 661, Muhammad's son-in-law, one of the three, was murdered. And this is where we get the difference between Shiite Muslims and Sunni Muslims. They are still mad at each other for something that happened in 661 A.D. Um, I'll talk more about that in just a second. And then another significant date in the development and um, the history of Islam is 1979. Um, The Ayatollah Khomeini gained control of Iran, making the Shiites the majority in Iran. And so um, I want to talk about the difference in the types of Muslims. So the Sunni Muslims, and I I don't know that I'm saying it correctly, S-U-N-N-I, the Sunnis, um, are the largest branch of Islam. This faction believes that Muhammad's successor should be chosen by a consensus of Muslims. The Shiite Muslims, it's also called Shia Islam, is the second largest branch of Islam, and this faction believes that Muhammad's successor should be someone from his bloodline. And so, I guess in um, 661, when his son-in-law was murdered, and his son-in-law was one of the caliphs, um, this became a huge battle and a, and a struggle within the, the Muslim faith, um, because they believed it should be somebody related to Muhammad. And the assumption here is that they track family lines, bloodlines, and they actually have people today who are direct descendants of Muhammad, and they know who those people are. Um, I think the Jewish people continue to do that as well, if they know. Then there's a third type, or a third branch of Muslim, excuse me, of Islam, it is. It arose to protest the worldliness invading the Muslim faith, and this faction believes that Allah is personal and has a mystical nature. So there is a branch of Islam that is kind of moving toward that praying to Allah that he's personal, that he has a mystical nature, and that you can actually have a relationship with him or try to. There is a fourth faction 
of Muslims called the Nation of Islam. They're the black Muslims. And it was a radically motivated offshoot of Islam founded by Elijah Muhammad in 1975. His followers consider him to be a modern-day prophet, but mainstream Islam rejects both this and the Baha'i, which is another sort of uh, extra branch that is not recognized by the mainline Muslims. So you have the Sunni who are the main branch, the largest branch. They believe that Muhammad's successor should be chosen by a consensus of Muslims. You've got the Shiites who believe that the uh, leader, that Muhammad's successor should be someone from his bloodline. And then you've got the Sufi, which is a more um, recent development in the Muslim faith. And they believe that Allah is personal and has a mystical nature. So let's talk about the radical versus moderate. If we want to understand the worldview of Islam on its own terms, though we need to understand what Islam says about itself and not just rely on our visceral reactions. That's on page 52 in um, Jeff Myers and Dr. Noble's book. So um, let's take a look at this. In Foreign Policy Magazine, John L. Esposito and Dahlia Mogahed, Mogahed, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, summarized some research conducted by the Gallup Corporation. The research revealed substantive errors in what Americans think about radical Islam. Radicals, in fact, are not more likely to attend religious services than moderates. They earn more money and stay in school longer than moderates, and they express more satisfaction with their financial situations. They are also as likely as moderates to express admiration of the West's technology, democracy, and freedom of speech. So the key difference between a moderate and a radical Muslim is this. Radicals are more likely to believe that the West threatens and attempts to control their way of life. But most of the other things in this Gallup study that are reported in Foreign Policy magazine, um, most of their beliefs are the same. So there's very little difference. Um, again, when we talked about the pillars of faith and the doctrinal beliefs, jihad is only held by sort of a radical 15% or so. If you look at a continuum, there's a 15% on one end that is uh, that believes that Allah is personal and that they can know him and they want to reform Islam and they don't take everything in their holy book literally. Then you've got a 15% on the other end of the spectrum that are violent jihadists that believe that all non-Muslims should be made to submit using violence if necessary. And then you've got the moderates that are kind of in the middle. But really, there are very, very few differences between the radicals and the moderates, except that, um, that jihad component. Uh, we talked about this in Sunday school, and I may have mentioned it in our last session, but, you know, Christians are really guilty of this as well. How many of us have read our whole Bible from cover to cover and multiple times and know it well? How many of us really know the Word of God well versus how many of us depend on someone at church to tell us what the Bible says. Uh, we depend on a preacher or a Sunday school teacher. Well, in Islam, it's kind of the same thing. If you look at the Quran, which I told you last time, I have a copy of it here with me, and, and I, 
I don't know if we'll have time today, but I could read to you directly from the Quran, and it does say to make the infidels submit using violence. It's, it's in their holy book, and it is taught in the Quran. However, many Muslims don't read their own holy book, and we can't really be too hypocritical and point a finger at them because we tend to be the same way even in Christianity. Um, how important is it for us? We've got to read God's word. We've got to hide it in our hearts. We've got to know it. Um, I'm kind of thankful that a very large percentage of moderate Muslims don't read their holy book because uh, we might have more jihad than we do now. So uh, it is important for us to understand that part of that is simply people not reading their own holy book because it's in there. So let's review what a worldview is. We, we started out this study maybe six sessions ago talking about what a worldview is. We're looking at the major worldviews and then we're going to break it down into specific world religions, although Islam is a specific religion. We're going to look at some others. And then um, within Christianity, we're going to go back and look at some of the um, denominations and the differences among Christians in our beliefs as well. So what is a worldview? A worldview is a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us to make sense of God, the world, and our relationship to God in the world. So as we look at Islam as a worldview, how does Islam answer the big questions? These big questions I also presented in our first session or two, um, they're questions that all worldviews attempt to answer. Here are some of the questions. Why are we here? What is the meaning and purpose of life? Is there a difference between right and wrong? Is there a God? What does Islam say about humanity? What does Islam say is wrong with us? According to Islam, how should we live? So Islam doesn't satisfactorily answer all of the big questions. Allah's kind of out there somewhere. Except for that one small faction of Muslims, he's not a personal God and he hasn't reached out other than the angel Gabriel supposedly, you know, dictating the, the Quran to Muhammad. So as we look at Islam as a worldview, it does not give satisfactory answers to all of life's big questions. One more quote from Dr. Nobles and Dr. Jeff Meyer's book. They said, fear is one thing we must never give into, and only one thing makes it go away. Love. Perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4, 18. When we are filled with love, even tough love, we gain fortitude. Love can transform fear into moral courage. Reason alone cannot. That's from page 55. So as we think about sharing our faith with Muslims, we have to get rid of that fear. We have to love them because God loves them and wants them to be saved. So here are some talking points, and this is how I'm going to wrap up today. Here are some talking points if you are going to have a loving conversation with a Muslim about Jesus Christ. And of course, we always want to use tact. We want to be charitable, loving in tone, and not argumentative. And that's how we should be with anybody, not just a, not just a Muslim. So here are some things. And this is advice from those who are Christians who came out of the Muslim faith. Be clear and direct about the teachings of Jesus. Don't soft-pedal the gospel. There is no gospel in Islam. Wow, that's powerful. So be clear and direct. They do believe Jesus was a prophet, so you can maybe start there 
and, and share the gospel with them very directly. Don't soft pedal. Next one. Things on which we agree are that there is a creator. We agree on David and Moses as prophets. We agree on the virgin birth of Jesus and the gospels. So if you want to quote to a Muslim from scripture, perhaps quote from the Psalms, quote from the first five books of the Old Testament, which Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We know that he was the human author. Um, They do believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Take it a step further and show that he is actually God and and the Son of God, God in flesh um, in the world so that we could know him. And then the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John quote from there because the Gospels are part of their their scripture. Um, Ask the classic evangelistic question. If you were to die today, do you know where you would end up? Do you know that you would spend eternity with God? And if a Muslim is being honest, they don't know because they believe you get down to the end and God just takes your good deeds and your bad deeds. Actually, they believe that you have angels that follow you around and tally up your good deeds and your bad deeds and report to God. So ask them, if you were to die, do you know? And their answer will be no. And then you can share the gospel with them that way. Now, things on which we disagree, but you'll have to talk about these as you share Christ. So just um, do it again with, with tact and with love. God made us in his image. Man is sinful and fallen. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our sin and rose again. The Bible is infallible with much more historical support than the Quran. These are some things that are good talking points to have a loving conversation with a Muslim. Um, Here are a couple more pieces of advice. One is to avoid subjective approaches. Muslims don't care about your experience because you are an infidel. You're unclean and disgusting. Focus on the factual presentation of the gospel. Um, Normally, we tell when we're teaching Christians how to share their faith, we say, you know, share what God did in your life. Share your personal experience. And of course, you'll do that as you go. But it is more important to give a factual presentation of the gospel when when speaking with a Muslim. Be prepared to answer questions about your faith. Know what you believe. Don't work to debunk Islam. Quote, Quote scripture directly. Um, Our interpretation is corruption, so quote the scripture directly. This was an interesting piece of advice, and I'm not sure exactly the context of this piece of advice, but it said sing the Bible to them. And I don't know if that means maybe expose them to Christian music, um, but it says sing the Bible to them. And then study the key terms from our, our sessions on Islam. Make sure you know what the Quran is and the difference between Sufi and Sunni and Shiite and and some of the terms that we've learned so that you can talk intelligently with them. So the bottom line is we want to understand what Muslims believe so that we can share our faith with them. So as you journal this journey, I want to encourage you at the end of each session, even if I forget to say it, which I do sometimes, I would really encourage you to keep some kind of a journal And record your thoughts. So here are some ideas. Um, When you think of 9-11 and other events in recent history, terrorist attacks, etc., does it cause you to struggle when you think about sharing your faith with someone who is Muslim? And I put a note to myself to say, um, remember Jonah? 
I don't know if you've uh, read that story or studied in the Old Testament. God sent Jonah to Nineveh, and he did not want to go. He did not like those people. He did not want to share God's word with them. And um, God had to deal with Jonah because he didn't want to share his faith with the people of Nineveh. Um, Do you know or have you met any people who are Muslim? Do your children or grandchildren know any Muslims? What are some Muslim beliefs that surprised you? And what stood out to you as a good approach to sharing your faith with a Muslim person? I'm glad you're coming with us in the Sisters Sunday School class at Anchor Bible Church. I'm glad you're sharing this journey with us. And I hope you'll return uh, for our next session, which will be on secular humanism. If you don't think secular humanism is a religion, um, you're, you might be surprised. And so I'll be sharing that with you in our next session. So thank you for listening. This is Sharon Black, and I pray that God will make you a blessing to others as you learn how to share your faith. We'll see you next time.